Thank you for showing up again. May I know how many attended the first lecture? Second lecture? Same people. <laughs> Which means I don't have to repeat a lot of things. Thank you very much. Okay, let me just recap. I'm, I'm learning to be like a university professor, always recap, right? The theme I've chosen is on seeking a better urban future. And lecture one, look at lessons for inspiring cities. Lecture two, explore what are the trends and challenges facing Singapore, and what are the strategies and issues we should consider in order for Singapore to secure a better urban future. And of course, lecture three will now focus on the future of HDB living within the context of the trends that I talked about in lecture two and now in lecture three. So we are here in our backyard, all right? Now, the whole series of lectures actually focus more on the spatial aspects of cities. I'm an architect planner, so I do tend to talk about physical things, all right? Uh, okay, let's start. So the title today for lecture three is about shaping the future of heartland living. Someone once told me that Singapore, in Singapore, HDB flats are like the air we breathe. This is because HDB flats are everywhere. We actually, HDB is like cities within the city of Singapore. Um, because more than 80% of the population live in HDB flats. And even if you don't live in a HDB flat, I'm sure you have used some of the amenities in the town, right? Whether it's the markets or the hawker centers, or the shops or the clinics. The public housing program implemented by HDB over 57 years has provided generally affordable housing, and by and large, HDB has provided a comfortable and convenient living environment for its residents. Now, in my second lecture, I touch on the trends, the trends that will affect us at the national level and the way we carry out our urban planning for the future. And these trends, of course, have to cascade down to a local level. So what, what are these specific trends that we should be thinking about when we plan and build our towns? So in this lecture, I would like to focus on how HDB plans, designs, harness technology, and reach out to the community to build homes together. Well, Singaporeans are living longer, having fewer babies. And by 2030, I think you must have heard this number many times, the number of Singaporeans aged 65 and above will double to 900,000. So the planning of towns and estates must take into account the change in social composition and demographics. And we need to meet the continuum of needs our residents, of our residents as they age. And our design should include suitable accommodation for them, complemented by services that take care of their social well-being, healthcare needs, so that they can age in place. So for example, if you're an elderly uh, resident seeking independent living, you may now prefer a smaller flat because it's just easier to maintain. Many of my residents tell me that. And these should be close to neighborhoods, to amenities, to public transport, easy for them to get around. And universal design principles should be applied within the flat and in public areas so that their mobility is not impeded. So we want to encourage and enable the elderly to be physically and mentally active in and outside their homes so that they are not socially isolated. Well, I talked about this in my lecture too. 
As a land-constrained city-state, Singapore is an inevitably a high-density environment. But the HDB towns, of course, were built up over time. But through innovative planning and design solutions, planners and architects can strive to create livable density so as to continue to ensure a very pleasant living environment. Climate change, of course, is another challenge for us. I also touched on this in lecture two. Since 1972, Singapore has experienced an increase in warm days and warm nights, and a decrease in cool days and cool nights. We are also experiencing an increase in average annual rainfall since 1980, bringing with it heavier rains and potential floods. These climatic changes require us to plan and to build in a much more sustainable way. So for example, we need to reduce energy use and we have to adopt passive design for natural cooling and to encourage the use of renewable energy with the deployment of, say, solar panels. And we should use less water, reduce waste, reuse and recycle whenever possible. And we should adopt water-sensitive urban design to mitigate floods and build greater resilience into our infrastructure. Recognising that our towns will mature and age over time, HDB has already been carrying out extensive estate renewal and upgrading since the 1990s. And this will ensure that our towns remain pleasant to live in and the municipal and estate services are well maintained and upgraded. We now also have a much more diverse population as we begin to see more inter-ethnic and transnational marriages and more new citizens have joined us in recent decades, increasing our diversity in culture, language and lifestyles. And the complexion of our estates will evolve organically with the change in social composition. We need to find ways to increase community connections so as to promote better understanding and social cohesion. And we can do this, part of which is true design and technology. Design and technology doesn't solve everything, but it helps. And it's to encourage greater inclusivity and to facilitate social interactions. Now, uh, at the same time, increasing, with increasing wealth and education, people do value their privacy and personal space. So a lot of people come and tell me that, oh, we love the old slap blocks and, you know, you have a corridor and that's where you meet each other um, and uh, you have neighbourly encounters. Uh, that might be true, but the reality is the majority of our residents tell us that they prefer a layout which gives them more privacy. So, building the kampong spirit will really require new design interpretations. More creative design should strike a balance between building community and making available multiple layers of different spaces. It's a gradation of public, semi-public and private space. I mentioned in lecture two that geosocialization has changed the way that people interact. More and more people are now connected through social media regardless of where they are for better or for worse. And we can no longer define neighbours by proximity and distance alone. We need to consider leveraging technology to connect virtual communities. For example, netizens with common interests can be brought together to enliven community life. And we can also match skills to needs across online communities in a constructive way to engender a kampong spirit. And of course, we talked a lot about this in lecture two. Technology and artificial intelligence will impact almost every aspect of the town, ranging from the way we work, live, play and learn. So for example, the nature of employment could become more transient with the advent of gigs and freelance jobs. 
In 2017, it was reported that there are about 167,000 individuals in freelance work as their primary job. And more people will also turn to telecommuting and home offices to perform various jobs from the comfort of their home. And in fact, some 17,000 flats in HDB already operate as a home office. So how can we better support citizens in these new roles? For example, we could provide more flexible living spaces and uh, for live and work supported by ready digital infrastructure in the home. And as a home businesses grow, we could consider providing shared working spaces nearby in the neighborhood or town centers, which allow these businesses to expand into and to provide connectivity, facilities, and spaces for larger group meetings. So actually, these uh, spaces can also encourage greater entrepreneurship and facilitate startups. Omnichannel shopping. Uh, in the last lecture, I showed you a video. You can go shopping at Macy's while you're in China, right? Omnichannel shopping has also been growing in popularity. Our commercial shops and complexes in our heartland serve a social role, but they need to evolve to cater to changing shopping preferences of consumers. We should therefore rethink the design of our commercial centres towards a more experiential type of focus to attract footfall. And in terms of trade mix, you might need more personalised types of services. And of course, with online shopping, the design of neighbourhoods should be more delivery friendly. This means that you need a place where people can drop off parcels and you can collect your parcels. And as I told you previously, the government is looking into island-wide federated parcel locker networks to ease the last mile delivery challenges. So we also looked at NTUC, they have the click and collect, and it also comes with refrigerated storage eh, to keep your chilled products like milk. The introduction of autonomous vehicles will also impact the way we plan our towns for commute. LTA's push towards car light and the introductions of autonomous buses requires to rethink the road system in our towns. For example, bus transit corridors will be safeguarded for buses and the lanes for cars could be reduced. Many of our multi-storey car parks may need to be repurposed or even redeveloped should car ownership HDB ramped up its building program from 2010 onwards to meet the surge in demand for public housing. And between 2010 to 2017, we launched about 167,000 units of flats. This is equivalent to about five Topayo towns. It's a lot within a short span of eight years. And while this massive program, of course, was challenging, it gave us a golden opportunity to build a new generation of public housing. So in 2011, we launched the Roadmap to Better Living, which will guide our large development program over the next decade or so, or maybe two decades. The goals are to build well-designed and community-centric towns which are sustainable and smart. So let me share how this roadmap will impact the future of heartland living. First, let us just look at what is meant by well-designed towns and as a start, let me just share some of the broad principles that guide the planning of HDB towns today. HDB doesn't only build housing, it builds townships. Over the years, the physical planning of HDB towns has evolved in tandem with changing socio-economic and demographic uh, conditions. As a master planner and master developer, HDB develops a total living environment where people can live, work, play and learn. And in this, 
HDB town structure, architects and planners, we call it the checkerboard concept. So what does that mean? Well, basically, it helps us to uh, juxtapose low-rise, low-intensity use like parks and schools with high-rise development. So as a result, you can get spatial relief. That's why it's called checkerbox. And we plan uh, with the heart of each town as a town centre, and around it are smaller neighbourhoods with four to 6,000 units, each with its own shops, schools and parks. And each neighbourhood further comprised precincts of about 400 to 800 units. This is about human beings, you know. How do you get people to connect and feel a certain intimacy in their neighbourhood? So, of course, these have further evolved. And uh, we now have, uh, even in Pongo, there are new ideas where we have estates of about 1,200 to 2,800 dwelling units. And the facilities are planned in a hierarchy. You have larger facilities, we serve a wider catchment of residents and smaller facilities for more localised needs. And there's also planning for connectivity. They're all very well served by the MRT, highways and roads. So these few principles have worked very well for HDB and they remain. But going forward, we will inject some fresh ideas into our towns of the future. In developing well-designed towns, we aim to develop a new generation of public housing we want to design an environment that is suitable for all ages, and we aim to reap synergies from more integrated developments. So, what are these interesting new things? For the new generation towns, our new plans will incorporate things like ideas, such as where we, are, we want to sculpt more distinctive towns and districts. We want to develop quality design and innovative typologies and layouts. We want you to be living in green to mitigate the high density, and we want to develop a car-like environment. So since 2011, we have developed many of these new ideas when we formulated new master plans for Pongo North, Bidudari, Tampines North, and Tengah. And we aim to create more distinctive identities for these new generation towns, but also where there are opportunities for large areas to be redeveloped in the older towns. And in our planning, we'll capitalize on what I call heritage and place character. A key tool to shaping our town is the use of urban design. Uh, this is a very complicated diagram. But in contrast to architecture, architecture is about singular buildings. But what we want is to focus on shaping a larger group of buildings, streets, and public spaces at whole neighbourhoods and district scales. So you don't exist only at a building level. Uh, this is more for students. I know there are some design students in the audience. This is more for you to look at urban design, especially year four architecture. Okay, So these are the toolbox that you have. I have a very, very audience here. We have also adopted new building typologies and flat layouts to meet changing lifestyle needs. We want to provide variety and choice. So in addition to the traditional tower and slab blocks, we've added all more types of typologies like courtyard housing, terrace housing, housing with deck roof gardens. We're also introducing many sky gardens and terraces. So these are some of the new generation housing. And these sky gardens will create new layers of green spaces to replace ground level green taken up by developments. So we are bringing your gardens up into the sky so that you still have that green a feel all around you. And not only the building, not the town, the district, not only the building, but also the layouts is undergoing change to meet your lifestyle needs and new trends. 
Recently, we did away with um, walls for the kitchen because young couples prefer open kitchens. So the idea is to make the layout very flexible. So we push all the columns to the sides whenever possible so that you have more flexibility in, in, in reconfiguring uh, your flat layout. So it can be a home office, it could be for a young couple, it can be family with kids with more bedrooms. And all these improvements enable residents to stamp their flat's interior with their very own personality. HDB homes can be beautiful. All right? This is a four-room flat. This is the bedroom. This is a three-room flat. Uh, I, we did some of these flats in our My Nice Home Gallery to show young couples how beautiful their homes can be with a little thought. Now, lest you think that I put a lot of money to designing these interiors, uh, you're probably wrong in case you ask me the question later. So I preempt your question. We actually... Uh, put a cap on the budget, and the budget was according to what our young residents tell us they spend on their home. So using good color choices, you can actually do it quite nicely. And our homes will be nestled within a garden as we introduce more tropical green and blue water elements in our planning and design. Now today, green spaces are planned as a hierarchy comprising a town park, neighborhood parks, and common greens. We will further add in more types of greenery, green connectors, precinct landscapes, rooftop gardens, and skyrise greenery. We will also inject more blue elements into the town. I will illustrate that later. And in line with national efforts, HDB aims to develop a car-like environment by encouraging the use of public transport. So almost all our towns are well served by the rail network, very well connected buses, the idea is to shift increasingly to mobility as a service rather than having individually owned cars. So LTA is piloting car sharing and autonomous vehicles to yield greater efficiency and safety. Of course, we recognize that some people may still need to use a car occasionally. So LTA has worked with HDB to launch the National Electric Vehicle Car Sharing Program in 2017, where 1,000 cars supplied by Blue SG are being deployed in various stages for our residents' use. And in addition, LTA is exploring a pilot deployment of autonomous vehicles as a form of public transport in Pongol and Tengah towns, as well as in Jurong Innovation District from 2022 onwards. And of course, we have lots of cycling trails, uh, convenient pedestrian paths, and we try to connect buildings even at the upper level to the uh, LRT and MRT stations that are above ground. So it makes it very walkable. So leave your car at home or don't buy one, okay? So all these are just a lot of words. It's very hard to describe. So let me just show you some case examples. This is Tengah, the new kid on the block. This is our baby, it's the youngest. Not quite born yet, just an idea. Uh, it has a novel concept. It's a HDB town, but it's called a forest town because Tengah falls within the larger biodiversity corridor between the western central catchment and to the central catchment area. So it creates the right condition to connect this catchment to this catchment. And we work with our very good colleagues in NPARKS, where we formulated a master plan where you have a 100-meter-wide forest belt. It's a forest belt that connects Actually, the forest bed is more for the animals, you know, it's not for us. It's for the animals to move, all right? And uh, uh, to create greater biodiversity. 
and uh, the forest theme will be experienced throughout the town. For the forest corridor, it will be very dense forests and activities that are less intrusive to nature we can introduce because remember, it's for them to move from one side to another, all right? And of course, you have a lot of hiking trails within it. There'll be a huge uh, green lung, uh, the central park, uh, and we will have uh, a lot of water bodies, which is also used for uh, mitigating, uh, for storm management, all right? So, and we will also introduce, very interesting, farm ways into our neighbourhoods, which you will see here, okay? The central park will be a large park containing lots of facilities for recreation and events. It will bring people right to the town centre, so this is going to be a very green town centre and to the marketplace. And at the local level, uh, and within the neighbourhoods, we want to introduce community gardening and urban farming in the form of linear community farmways that straddle between the residential areas. The community farmways will serve also as your neighbourhood park and they incorporate lawns and courts and gardens and even farming plots. And then I think the farming plots could bring uh, residents together to do community farming. You can even organise farmers markets. You may think it may not happen, but my colleagues in M Parks, you know, when they gave up the allotment gardens, uh, it's fully oversubscribed. They're just not enough. So, very healthy way of getting together. The next big idea is that Tengah should be a walking town, a car-like town. For this to work, we need to designate some car-free areas and to ensure we can make uh, provisions for people to walk and cycle everywhere. And there'll be a grid network planned to serve Tengah and all the roads that are dual to or wider will have dedicated bus lanes. So transit and mobility <coughs> corridors will be safeguarded and these cor corridors include rail for bus priority networks, possible futures of mobility such as autonomous vehicle or other personal mobility devices. And Tengah Town will feature the first car-free town centre in an effort to move towards a car-like, greener and people-friendly environment. So we have to design this. Now next, I would like to bring you to Pongo Eco Town. Uh, I chose Pongo Eco Town because it's one of my favourite towns to explain what we're trying to do because a lot of it is work in progress but the new ideas are starting to bear fruit. Tengah is future. Pongo, you can go and see and touch and feel it. So I like to always talk about Pongo. Pongo is actually the first eco-town designed as a sustainable waterfront in the tropics, waterfront town in the tropics. And when completed, it will house 96,000 units. Actually, we started developing Pongo since the 1990s, but then we had a refreshed vision for Pongo uh, in 2012, guided by the new thrust I talked about in the HDB's Roadmap for Better Living. It is also planned as a total living environment where residents can live, work, play and learn. And it will be very well served by mass rapid transit with good connectivity uh, by roads and rail. And it will have an extensive cycling network to encourage clean commute. We are creating a pervasive sense of greenery and nature in this town's urbanscape. For example, we will have linear green connectors. They will link up all the key parks and facilities and neighbourhood centres all the way to the waterfront promenades. The Pongo and Serangoon rivers were first dammed up in Pongo to serve as two fresh reservoirs and the Pongo waterway linked up the two reservoirs 
and it has since become a key signature facility. Now, this is a really a good illustration of how our infrastructure can be multifunctional for stormwater management as well as for leisure use. Those who attended the second lecture, what did I say? I said that infrastructure should always be multifunctional, not single functional, particularly in a very small place like Singapore. And of course, today, Pongo Waterway is a key recreational feature, and I'm told that some have called Pongo a new name, the Venice of Singapore. I know it's overstretching it a bit, but it sure <laughs> encouraged the planners like us who work very hard to make this happen, right? And Pongo is a very good example of how we integrate green and blue elements together, and these include linear green corridors, town parks, and waterway promenades. I want to know how many of you have visited Pongo? Oh, wonderful. If not, I'll send you this weekend. You have to go cycling there, all right? Okay, great. My waterway at Pongo and the Pongo Waterway Park, sports and recreational facilities, such as the Safra Club, actually form the green heart of Pongo. And pedestrian and connected, there's a lot of pedestrian and cycling connectivity to all the parks and the waterfront. But one of the main green fingers is the old Pongo Road, which I love. The old Pongo Road will be pedestrianized. Remember the old Pongo Road? You can still go there today, you know? Uh, but quite uh, breathtaking, literally, to cycle. Huh? It's up and down. Uh, the old Pongo Road will be pedestrianized, and we will establish a linear landscape heritage trail retaining the memory of the connection to the seafront. And what's at the seafront? Seafood, yes. And this is the part I talk about why distinctiveness is about heritage, it's about memory, right? So we're keeping this. By the way, there's a lot of seafood there now, but I think it's a big traffic jam. And the Pongo Heritage Trail, all right, could be like this, it's not like this, but it could be, all right? We're working with NPARKs on the design. The Pongo Heritage Trail also weaves through the new Singapore Institute of Technology, SIT, and the Pongo Digital District. So wonderful, the campus will actually have this, and it leads all the way to the waterfront. And Pongo will have many signature uh, waterfront housing districts, seven. And each district will have its own distinct character, shaped by urban design and new housing typologies. We pay a lot of attention to sculpting the different districts. So for example, along the Pongo Waterway, we use urban design and we themed it. We have urban, undulating, rustic themes with different built forms. We're using terrace, courtyard, and contrasting forms of housing. So the end result is actually the creation of a very interesting changing visual experience as we traverse the waterway. So as you cycle, you start to see all these buildings. I think now it's a lot cleaner because there was a lot of construction work. And waterway terraces is an example of a very unique step form. Different layers of greeneries weave into the development, as you can see. Multiple layers, and it cascades down. And along the waterfront, or the Pongo waterway, there's very good integration of landscape with the Pongo, uh, with the, the development and the Pongo waterway. So when you are there walking, cycling, you actually cannot see the boundary and the differences between the two because of the integration. And in some districts, as, such as Matilda, we have courtyard housing. Uh, the landscape decks will be linked project to project. So these landscape decks will just continue from project to project, linking all the way to the waterfront. And the design of the landscape decks were very carefully thought through. And it was actually inspired by, you're wondering why it's called the Matilda House. Eh? Because it was inspired by Matilda House that used to be there with the plantations. 
and uh, in, inspired the way we designed the deck. I visited it, uh, I think, last week, and it's quite nicely done. So kudos to my, my uh, colleagues. There's actually ample provision of public spaces for residents to carry out activities and to interact. And Pongo Waterway, of course, is very important. But we also have large and partially covered civic squares or town squares in the heart of the town centre for activities. And on top of that, it's about programming. So it's about people, right? It's not about hardware and infrastructure. So town square activation committees and the waterway activation committee help to program things that happen in these spaces. Next, it's really about designing an environment for all ages, especially as we have a population that's aging. So we adopt universal design principles, making sure that it's accessible at, for all ages, all abilities. We design for all ages. And all new flats actually now come without steps, with toilets that can accommodate a wheelchair, rocker switches. If you don't know what they are, they're bigger switches. Those of us who are older can start changing the light switch at home. Uh, so it's easier for uh, the elderly. And all existing towns have been retrofitted with ramps to facilitate, facilitate wheelchair mobility. And with the lift upgrading program, almost every floor now has access to a lift. Now, HDB also look in special housing typologies for the elderly. For the elderly who like to live with their families for mutual care and support, we've introduced a three-generation flat. It has four bedrooms, two of which are en suites, so that more people can be accommodated in the home. And for seniors who prefer to live independently, HDB implemented the studio apartment scheme for seniors who are at least 55 years old. So they are generally located near amenities, and we want to encourage our seniors to stay active in the community. So these are the uh, two-room type of uh, uh, flats. In, all right. And in 2015, we introduced the two-room flexi scheme. It merged and replaced the two-room flat scheme and the studio apartment. The new scheme actually gives our seniors the flexibility in the choice of between 15 to 40, 45 years of lease based on their age and their needs. And uh, so it gives them a lot of choice. And they come in uh, two sizes, uh, 36 square meter and 45 square meters, depending on your needs and also to uh, make sure it's affordable. And of course, we did a lot of lift upgrading uh, so that we can bring lifts. So previously, there were, there were no lifts. Uh, so what we've done, we've added lift calls so you can like, get access uh, to almost uh, every floor. This was a huge program and it benefited half a million households, half a million. And at the flat level, we have a home improvement program to help the elderly. We replace, for example, the old squat pans to pedestal, easier for them. And we introduce grab bars within the toilet so that they feel safe when they move around. And to further enhance safety, uh, we introduce the enhancement for active seniors. And here you have ramps and grab bars that can be added to allow the elderly to move around safely. And their toilet tiles are then treated so that they become more slip resistant. This is a very popular program with my elderly. And HDB also works very closely with Ministry of Health to integrate social and community facilities, including senior care centres within the towns. You know, careful thought is also put to the design and location of these elderly facilities. Uh, studio apartments, as I say, are actually near neighbourhood centres and near public transport. Elderly housing is co-located with, say, nursing homes. We have one in Tampines Green Weave. And 
We also provide active aging hubs together with uh, Ministry of Health because they are like one-stop clubhouse for the seniors, you know, where you have a lot of activities and services. And of course, all the designs are based on universal design principles. Now, we also want to see how we can get synergies out of our developments through integrated developments. Today, we do integrate and mix users, but on a smaller scale. So we mix housing with shops, childcare centres, but they are on a smaller scale. Uh, we think we can yield greater convenience and synergies if we have more mixed users on a larger scale. So let me give you an example of a recent project that we have uh, completed. This is Kampong Admiralty. It's, I think, a quite a successful integrated development. It is conceived as a modern kampong, which integrates a wide range of residential, social, healthcare, communal, commercial, retail facilities, all under one roof. The facilities are stacked up by layers. The architect is Woha, and they tell me it's Guilapis. Eh? And this optimized land use because they're stacked. And it's also very convenient because it's vertical movement. Uh, you have many facilities. We have, sorry, let me just move that. We have uh, elderly housing. Okay. We have a medical center. We have a combination of active aging hub, community gardens, a hawker center, lots of shops and a very nice community plaza and a community park, which is tiered. So a lot of facilities, but what, what does it look like? Let me show you some pictures. This is the community park above, above ground, you know. I love this one because you can't imagine that this is on top of a building, but it is. All right, it's beautiful. And we have a playgrounds for the children. Remember, there's a childcare, and then we have an active aging hub. Actually, next to this are all the exercise equipment. Remember my three-generation uh, type playgrounds? You want the grandparents to look after the young. You know, you want the interaction. So we put the exercise machines next to the playground. Now, this is a typical unit for the elderly. The kitchen is fully fitted out, including an induction hob. It's quite nice. I think my residents are quite happy. Grab bars are provided in the unit and the toilet. And then you have the two-storey Admiralty Medical Centre. It is a one-stop diagnostic and treatment centre which brings specialist care closer to the community. It has lots of light streaming in with a great view to the roof garden. And the complex is served by shops, supermarkets, a hawker centre which offers healthier dining options. But you must choose the healthier dining options. Lah. It can sell to you, but you do the chakwetiao is a little bit difficult. And a community park and garden, uh, there's a very active community gardening group here. And there's a huge large plaza with a roof that's openable. It's very popular for a gathering place. And so the entire design facilitates interaction between residents and also among different age groups. We there's also the software. There are a lot of organized programs uh, for health and education programs organized by Yisun Health Campus, which encourages the neighborhoods, the neighbors to interact. So I think it's quite successful. We're going to learn lessons from here and see whether we can replicate to more places. In 2013, HGB resumed the development of neighborhood centers so that we can better serve our residents. And this new generation of neighborhood centers adopt certain principles, a lot of integration of multiple users, just like Kampong Admiralty, mixed users. 
there will be lots of public spaces for the community to hang out, to do activities. There will be greater focus on good design. More care will be taken to also curate the tenant mix together with inputs from our residents. So we say, what would you like? What types of restaurants? Huh? And core programming will be important, such as having wellness programs, healthier food options, to create synergies. Uh, one of the latest one is Oasis Terrace, which is next to Pongo Waterway. It's going to uh, open soon, in a couple of months' time. It's co-located with a polyclinic, and there's a very unique roof garden, which terraced down to the Pongo Waterway. Uh, it also has a very high-volume civic plaza, uh, and very attractive public space for holding community activities. So no point describing it. Let me show you. So that's Oasis Terrace. If you think this is just a drawing, let me say that I visited this a couple of weeks ago on a site visit. It looks pretty much like this. The only thing that I need to deliver to you is the colourful flowers. That one is harder, okay? All right? But it's pretty much like this. So the next thing about our roadmap to better living is about being community-centric. So what does it mean? Beyond being a provider of homes, HDB also builds active and cohesive communities. There are three aspects that go towards building community-centric towns. First is the hardware. We plan and build towns with the community in mind. This includes the planning and design of shared spaces and facilities, which I've shown you, as well as mixing of households of different types within each precinct, block and level. So it's very mixed. And uh, it's also about software, and this is the policy aspect of fostering social cohesion. This includes the ethnic integration policy, which maintains a very good ethnic mix in HDB estates for racial integration and harmony, as well as the Singapore Permanent Resident Quota, which was layered over the uh, ethnic integration program to facilitate better integration of SPR households into public housing estates. 
And it's also about the hardware. The hardware comprises people and community. It is what makes a town and place endearing to its residents. And in the past five years, HDB has also stepped up tremendously on our community building efforts. Uh, by, by the way, I'm also a party organiser because I organise a lot of welcome parties. Okay, so we also organise parties. And uh, in a 2014 HDB NUS study on the impact of built environment on community bonding, we found that residents tend to encounter their neighbours incidentally and unplanned in places such as lift lobbies and the void decks. At the same time, they also tend to meet convivially in coffee shops and retail shops. And the study also found a very positive correlation between amenities usage and the sense of attachment and belonging. So what does this mean? It means that HDB really needs to develop multiple spaces within HDB estates where the community have opportunities to interact at the block, precinct, neighbourhood, town and regional levels. You know, we've also been experimenting with all sorts of design, you know, working with private sector architects. Uh, so for example, Skyville at Dawson, designed by Woha, they explore breaking down a high-rise building into smaller sky villages. Each cluster comprised about 80 units, grouped around a common community garden and space. So you're creating little villages in the sky. And the sky gardens and roof terraces are selectively introduced to provide residents with more spaces to relax and to interact. And these sky gardens will create, again, new layers of green spaces to replace the ground-level greenery as we build. And there are also community gathering spaces which are scattered throughout the development for both chance encounters and organised gatherings. Today, we actually have quite a thriving HDB community. Based on our sample uh, household survey in 2013, some 98% feedback that they feel a sense of belonging to their town. And more than 85% of residents interact with neighbours of other ethnic groups and nationalities. And there's also increasing participation in community activities. Of course, we love to do more. Uh, but Singaporeans are very busy people, you know, trying to get them involved. Huh? So we want to continue to build on these positive trends by encouraging even more citizen participation. We would like our residents to be more participative. Why? In shaping the environment so they take greater ownership in caring for their town and contributing to the community. So HDB, therefore, has many programs to encourage greater citizen partic uh, participation. Uh, some of you asked about citizen participation and how can we be experimental. Well, these are some examples. I, in lecture two, I said I'll give you some examples. So first, HDB works to nurture change makers. We can't do it alone. We have many volunteers of different age groups, and a lot of them volunteer to promote the spirit of neighbourliness and eco-friendly living in the HDB estates. We have both young uh, volunteers, we call them ambassadors, and also senior ambassadors, many retirees, who go around and help to spread some of these eco-living messages to residents. So if you want to sign up, you're most welcome to sign up too. And some of these volunteers will also initiate activities that add liveliness to the space uh, and foster care and neighbourly relations. Other facilities, uh, other volunteers help to actually facilitate community conversations 
to build consensus on local development and rejuvenation plans because we we consult our residents a lot and of course uh, the moment you have two people doesn't mean they will agree right i have 300 of you i'm sure a lot of you will not agree and uh, the idea really is how do we have conversations so that we can uh, get some consensus to move forward on some of the plans that they want for the neighbourhood. So facilitation is important and we have a lot of tertiary uh, institution students who help us to facilitate focus group discussions. Uh, so one example I want to share with you about co-creation is this project in Tampines. This is a corridor that is very well used in Tampines by residents because it leads to the neighbourhood centre. So we thought this is a really great opportunity you know, to uh, liven up this corridor, this pedestrian corridor, as a meeting place for residents by creating what we call a social linkway. So what we did was we set up pop-up stations along the corridor and we gather ideas. So on the way to the market, we say, what would you like to see along this corridor? So you see, they were all actually very participative. You know, They wrote, they put stickers here and there as they make their way to the market and the school. And this is the final outcome. There are multiple activity nodes that were created, one for a neighbourhood incubator and others for play and learning. There's also an art link with artwork and murals contributed by the residents themselves. So they participated. And the residents transformed a void deck like this to a social <coughs> gathering community room. So this is what the residents can do. And today the process of co-creation is rather a fairly traditional one. We get people group around tables, we do little cutouts, this is the table, this is the chair, move things around, this is how you want it in the space that are around you. A little bit uh, old-fashioned. Huh? Uh, then we decided a few weeks ago that we, because we had to conduct some design workshops with our residents uh, under the Remaking Our Heartland Initiative, and we were asking them to redesign a void deck and an underutilized space under an MRT viaduct. So for the first time, we introduced virtual reality into our design workshop. Lecture two, what did I talk about? AR, augmented reality and VR, virtual reality. So we wanted to give them a very immersive experience when taking part in the design process of the spaces around them. And it was great. We roped in some NUS students. They were very good. I think so, I don't know if some of you are here, but it's from your faculty. Eh? on the design side. And they helped us, they were very good. And so let me just show you uh, what they get to see, all right? So you can put on this gear, headgear. We brought in the HoloLens, and this is what they get to see. And they can choose different things. Can choose different things for the void decks. One thing good is we could put a budget to this. Then they know whether they bust the budget. <laughs> if they choose all the things in the menu, right? And uh, this is a great program because it even measures for you the distances so that you make sure people can walk. But because residents don't really understand, right? Until you see it in 3D, then you understand. And this is the outcome of the void deck that they planned. So I think there's a lot of potential and scope for using technology to do engagement with the public, and we hope to do more. Now, to encourage placemaking by residents, HDB also launched the Friendly Faces, Lively Places Fund in 2016. The fund supports a diverse range of projects by residents, ranging from one-off handicraft events to doing terrarium workshops to having a lot of engagement workshops 
and constructing a play area for residents. So we do seed funding to give them some money to get started, to do things that they want around them, and to do it with their neighbours, not with us to do it with their neighbours. And I have some great volunteers who actually signed up and uh, applied for this fund. So we're now seeing them uh, being developed and come to fruition. So I'm waiting for that. Playgrounds. Playgrounds are very important social space in HDB estates. They play a significant role in bringing families and the community together. From the mid-1970s to the early 1980s, Playgrounds took an identifiable form uh, as dragons and fruits. And playgrounds in the early 1990s, of course, we moved to more proprietary type of play equipment. But what we did is we did introduce a three-generation playground, which I mentioned. It brings together the young who play there and the older folk who exercise while looking after their children or their grandchildren. And HDB recently we announced that we have embarked on a new generation of thematic playgrounds in new housing estates. We believe this will really strengthen the town identity and enhance play experience. For example, Kit Hong Estate has a military theme uh, because the area was once occupied by the Kit Hong military camp. Uh, of course, other places had other themes. And in fact, a lot of the residents like this because their parents were talking to them about the time when they were in NS and they were in Kit Hong camp. So you, you remember I talked about distinctiveness of a town, bringing in memories, social memories that you might want to keep. Okay, so this is one example. And of course, it's not all about us doing things, it's about doing with our residents. We want to co-produce things with our residents. So we introduced a Build-A-Playground project with residents for the first time this year. It was very successful. More than 1,000 residents, I think it was 1,800 or something like that, they went through an engagement process, giving us ideas on what they want to see for the new playground in their neighbourhood. And on build day, of course, we can't have 1,800 people building a playground. We had about 100 plus residents, they showed up with their families and we put the playground together. Uh, I must say that actually if we had built it ourselves, it would be much faster. <laughs> but the point is not about building the playground per se, right? It's about the process, the process of engagement, the process of involving people. I think it would have been cheaper if I built it and faster. But I, I thought it was a great time because we, I think we had a great time with the children and the families. So we're going to do more, but it will be a longer process and we have to cater for the longer process, probably a bigger budget too. Okay, as the largest housing developer in Singapore, HDB needs to build in an environmentally responsible way. So we talk about sustainability, right? So I was asking, hey, what is sustainability? What do you mean, you know? I see someone here who's a champion of sustainability in the audience. Uh, it's easy to talk sustainability, but what does it really mean? So I think you need to be very robust and very disciplined to understand what it means. It's easy to say. A lot of people say, right? But they may not do it. So what we did was we developed a sustainability development framework to guide the development of our towns. And we have 10 key desired outcomes covering environmental, social, and economic outcomes. So for, for example, for environment, you really want a clean, healthy, comfortable environment, greener uh, transport, low carbon <coughs> developments, reducing waste and adequacy of water. 
Okay? So, of course, you have social needs. You want it to be an endearing home. How do we do it? So, all this engagement that we talked about, it's really for people to take ownership of their home. And economic is sustainable uh, growth, helping also the uh, retailers there. And what does it mean? Now, that alone will take a three-hour lecture, so I won't do that. But I'm going to show you some of the types of initiatives we've introduced as a result of the framework. That framework is robust. It has very uh, detailed outcomes. It works out the initiatives and strategies that we want to do, and it has clear KPIs to measure ourselves. So all my colleagues sitting here, we're going to measure ourselves and going to make sure we deliver on the KPIs. Okay? But as a result, you also need to do a lot of R&D. In my last lecture, I talked about the importance of science and technology. And we, HDB actually does a lot of R&D in energy, urban greenery, waste and water, living environment, building technology, and more. Uh, a talk on R&D will take a separate lecture. But this is what most Singaporeans do not see. You wake up every morning, you expect things to be like that, but let me just say it's not like that. A lot of people working to make your lives better. So for energy, we are exploring and we have implemented, say, solar energy. Okay? And uh, we even harness the energy as your lift move to recover the energy to, say, uh, power your common areas. Uh, in urban greenery, we've done a lot of, of uh, R&D on how to grow plants on the roof cheaply and with very little water. And uh, we want to bring back biodiversity. Waste and water is quite obvious. We are finding ways to reduce waste. We have a centralized uh, recycling chute in some of the new projects. We separate um, normal waste from recycled waste. And as a result, in Pongo, the amount of recyclables increased by three to four times. But we still haven't beat Yokohama, right? The example I gave in lecture two. And uh, so we also look at having pneumatic waste because it is much more productive and use less manpower. And we do a lot of studies on building technology and the quality of the building. All right? Now, this is something a little bit more new. We have developed the HDB Biophilic Town Framework to guide the enhancement of our existing natural assets because we want to improve well-being. Plants go with well-being. You want people to be healthy, right? And to achieve a greater sense of place. So this new framework proposes what we call a, an approach to incorporating nature into our town planning. Incorporating nature needs science. I think those of you who are gardeners among us, you know what I mean. Just because you put a pot of plant there and you just water, it doesn't mean it will grow. And the objective is to optimize the urban ecosystem services for better quality of life and well-being. So we are piloting this um, biophilic town framework in Pongo North Shore District, one of the districts. And uh, these are some of the features. Uh, the landscape master plan at Pongo North Shore will enhance what we call the urban environment through the regulation of air quality, wind flow, and thermal comfort. For better storm water management, you have a district-wide network of bioswales and rain gardens to treat and to regulate rainwater runoff and to increase the amount of greenery. We have sky gardens, which I talked about. And for greater biodiversity, for greater ecological balance, 
Habitats such as dragonfly ponds, bird sanctuaries, butterfly gardens, they all have been planned through the district. And you have a wide array of landscape uh, spaces to mitigate the urban heat island effect. Remember, the world is warming up. We need to cool. And later on, I'll, I'll show you an example of how we do that. Uh, it, there's a lot of information in doing this biophilic framework. If you want to know more, we're going to launch a book in July. We'll buy the book for those interested. And we have also developed a floating wetland system ourselves. We designed this and patented it. It's an engineering, uh, I thought it's a very en a good engineering design. We, we won several international awards for this. It looks so simple, right? But you have to design something that floats, can take the weight, plants will grow. And in fact, now we are looking at a second generation of this type of design where we can even float solar panels on this because it's a very stable feature. So HDB in the background does a lot, a lot of R&D. How many of you know that? That we actually do a lot of R&D? Come. Okay, don't have to put up. How many of you don't know that? Okay, so at least I spend effort explaining it. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. Well, Singapore also has an aspiration to become a smart nation. And the HDB leads the development of what we call the smart urban habitat domain. What does that mean? So we also have a smart HDB town framework. And we are going to develop smart applications and services in five key dimensions. Smart planning, smart environment, smart estate, smart living, and smart community. And the aim is really to build a more livable, efficient, sustainable, and safe town. So what, what is smart planning? What is smart planning? Smart planning helps us to design and create a better living environment. And this starts with creating a virtual Singapore, which is a 3D map of Singapore. We work with many agencies to do this, um, and they help us to develop this. This helps us to visualize the town that we have planned. So I have used Pongo. I've zoomed into Pongo from Singapore. We zoom into Pongo. And once the data is fully captured, the 3D data is captured in our computer systems, we can apply many smart application tools to help us in our planning and design. So for example, this is a more detailed plan at the town level. What we can do is we can study wind flows. Now, this was the first cut of the plan that we did for Pongo Town. If you look at the blue colours, it means that the air is actually not uh, moving as much. The oranges and the reds means the air is moving more. So at the first cut, not enough air movement in the town. So we shifted buildings around, put in parks and all that, and you see there's a lot more of the, the yellows and the reds. So it means the airflow is going through the town. In the second lecture, no, sorry, in the first lecture, someone asked me, can you please cool Singapore? And asked me to put a dome over Singapore. Well, I can't put a dome over Singapore, but through good planning and through uh, good design, and uh, design and technology, you can help to cool it a little bit, all right? So this was the slightly improved version. But you are not only modeling at the town level. We can actually zoom in onto even a precinct level. I can even zoom in into a building level to do a lot of this analysis. But I'll do it for Pongo North Shore that you see here. And in Pongo North Shore, we would study things like at a precinct level where the shadow is movement. As you see this thing, the shadow is moving, right? And it helps me to know where to put my park. I will put my park in the shade. And my solar panels, 
where there's a lot of sun. And you can do many, many things with all these uh, wonderful computer models. We also do this thing called uh, view shed analysis because we're trying to see how to design our buildings and we didn't want it to block uh, or try to get maximum views to the sea. So this is what we did. So you also can do view shed analysis. And because these are very high-rise blocks facing the waterfront, we carried out a lot of simulations to test how our blocks may experience wind-induced rain because this is a waterfront. So when necessary, we will build in mitigating solutions such as fins into our block design, minimize rainwater splashing at the lobbies and along the corridors. And we also carry out a lot of noise studies because there's traffic, so whether we can improve the way in which we design our buildings. So there's a lot of signs you know, behind what we do. So the new generation of HDB towns marries aesthetics with science and very highly functional design. And this is another tool. Actually, I can go on for hours talking about this, but this is another tool. I'll just share this one. We've developed, uh, together with some uh, private companies, a very a complex system modeling tool. This is a decision-making tool, and I believe it's state-of-the-art and maybe the only one maybe in the world. And I think NUS has made use of this for some of your projects. This is a very visually rich 3D interface tool. It simulates the various new urban designs, uh, the new urban solutions for the town, where you have greening efforts, energy efficiency, effective waste management. Now, you remember I talked about all the sustainability initiatives. Actually, it's very hard to decide how to select those initiatives. If I have pneumatic waste refuse, it's great for the environment, no smell, very clean safe uh, band power, but uses energy, uses energy. So what to do? So you have to use multiple uh, instruments and initiatives. So what we do is we put solar panels. So the solar panel will help to reduce the energy usage. But you have so many things, you know, five, six, ten things you're trying to do. How to get the best combination? This model helps us. It helps us to identify the optimal mix of initiatives that can achieve our sustainability goals in the most cost-effective way. We haven't commercialized this. Maybe we should. All right. And having planned the urban habitat, we can embed sensors into the environment to capture data on how the town is performing. We've already started deploying building sensors to monitor the status uh, of some of the key services in our state. For example, today we already have sensors uh, which monitors the structural health of the building or even tremors, right? If you have a tremor in uh, Indonesia, we want to know are our buildings safe. So be assured, we monitor, all right? And uh, solar, we monitor all our solar panels. Are they working? We monitor lifts, we monitor car parks. And we have also tested many sensors in our living laboratories, which are specific areas that we're trialling a lot of the sensors. They help us to collect more data on the building performance. So there are sensors to uh, uh, check on lighting, for security, for the pneumatic, pneumatic waste conveyance system. We want to know how full is the rubbish chute so that we can clear the rubbish if there's a problem. The sensors are there, and we track electrical and water usage. And we are now testing even more forms of sensors uh, and the use of smart sockets. So Pongo North Shore, whoever have bought a unit there, you get the latest gadgets, you know? You have smart sockets in your home, okay? Now, in the last lecture, I also talked about 
drones. Remember? I showed you some pictures of drones. Well, sorry, before I get to the drones, from all the data that we collect, we need to put them on a platform so that we can analyse the data. So the information collected is pumped into this new thing we have built, this new platform called the Smart Hub. It serves as a central repository of information from all these sensors and they are pumped into the Smart Hub. And if you use uh, artificial intelligence, you can do a lot of very good data analytics and even predictive maintenance so that it alerts you that maybe this thing may be failing soon. Check on it. Okay, so you can do a lot of these things. You can intervene early. So that's the dream. Huh? It's still being uh, developed. So I talk about drones. Well, even HDB is deploying drones. We're studying the use of drone technology to inspect the facades of HDB buildings. So let me show you what we're doing. The drone takes off and the drone flies around the estates. It has a camera. It takes the images of everything well in its sight. It scans everything, the roof, the facades. The data is then taken out and downloaded onto this platform that we have. And you upload all the images onto this platform. The data is captured from the camera. And from a real view of the building, what happens is that data is transmitted to form a digital twin in minutes. It maps out a digital twin. Now, what's the use of the digital twin? You can use an artificial intelligence engine that identify and locate any anomalies within each image. So for example, after the AI works on this, straight away it identifies for us where there could be cracks that the drone has spotted. Okay, and if you zoom in, Maybe you can identify the more serious types of cracks. Gives you the images. And this immediately helps us to zoom in on the problems. Now, machines are not so smart. They still need to be trained by the engineer. So you can have these images captured, but the engineer still needs to train a machine to read what this crack means. All right? So, but it certainly helps us because you have so many thousands of buildings, you know, how to inspect all. So with this, you can narrow down to the, the cracks that you think you might need a second look, all right? And of course, you can drop a gondola to actually go and check on it. But we have more ideas. Maybe we'll send a robot to check. Next step, all right? Okay. For smart uh, living, what does it mean? In smart living, we've been working with the private sector to develop applications that are useful for our residents, many companies. Telehealth enables healthcare to be delivered to the home using smart connectivity. For example, you could use a, do a physical uh, rehabilitation at home guided by a nurse, you know. So your parents, after they are discharged from the hospital, they can do their rehab at home with a nurse guiding them. It's all quite real, and I think MOH is looking at some of these. And of course, you can have an elderly monitoring system. This uh, lady here, she's uh, really one of my residents. I visited her. Uh, we're aging, and many of us are working. We have parents whom we live, live at home alone. So motion sensors can be placed in the home to help to learn the movements uh, of the elderly. And it's smart enough 
where you detect the pattern over a few weeks. Now, if this pattern is broken, suddenly the person doesn't wake up in the morning and go to the toilet for hours. Maybe something is wrong. Straight away, a message is sent to the caregiver, usually the children or uh, could be your neighbours. And at least somebody can call home and check, Mom, are you okay? If nobody answers the phone, then I think you better go home. All right. So all these systems are very, very helpful. And of course, the other one is home energy management system. We all know this, uh, managing your utilities, etc. Now, as part of the smart community domain, we have also embarked on a new research program with SUTD. I don't know if there are SUTD uh, participants here, called the Urban Kampong Project. The project actually seeks to gain a deeper understanding of emerging lifestyle trends and preferences of residents. We also want to derive some new quality of life indicators, such as thermal comfort, access to amenities, urban greenery, sense of belonging. Uh, and we also want to encourage what we call self-enabled communities, because residents can be engaged to co-design spaces, as I've shown you. And maybe you can use gamification. These are persuasive technologies that can just nudge people along, please keep the estate clean, adopt a more eco-lifestyle. And with urban analytics, it actually helps us to forecast whether some of the things we want to do would be receptive to residents. Because sometimes you design things, you're not sure whether people like it or not. But urban analytics can also help us. So this is the part where in lecture two, right at the end of the lecture, I talked about what? Beyond science and technology, what types of research should we do? This is, this is a test at the end of the lecture. The, it was to say that you have to understand human behaviour. It's not all about hard science. All these hard science is just enabler. You have to understand human behaviour in order to design the right science to uh, cater to people. So this is what we are doing too, all right? So today we have a big store of data, right? We will be collecting from sensors, from uh, 2D maps, 3D maps, and people give us data. They say, oh, my hobby is this, my interest is this. Uh, you can build a digital di uh, registry with people who share with you information because they want to have certain hobbies and skills and meet people who have the same uh, hobbies that has them. And the platform, you can put them on the platform called the Pulse of the Heartlands and develop many, many types of uh, smart applications. So for example, it could be uh, helping people to design their spaces. It could be personalized wayfinding. If you're on a wheelchair, how do I get around the estate? Maybe this might help. There may be a great app you know, that you could do. All right? So all these ideas we have are test-bedded in what we call living laboratories. We have Tengah and Pongo, which are more the greenfield sites, and existing estates like Yihua and Teggi, which are older. Why do we want to test in older estates? Because they have real people. You see, when you design for something in the future, you have no idea whether people, how people react to the things you're going to put up. So smart application, especially, you have to test in real people. Then they give you a feedback and say, hey, I don't understand your app, you know, it's so complicated. Then we have to adjust and then keep improving, all right? So it's important to test on real people who give you a real feedback, okay? That's the reason. Now, guided by our sustainability and smart frameworks, we have actually been uh, doing a lot of these things uh, already in some of the newer towns, and we've already rolled up to all the new areas. The moment we tested it, it worked, we rolled up. But most 
people probably don't even know we've ruled it out. They just thought, okay, that's the way it is, but it's not, all right? So for those of you who bought new flats, actually there is a difference. Okay, now the smart and sustainability efforts really have led to a lot of benefits. Huh? So in Pongo, we've saved a lot of energy. This is some examples of what we've achieved. Uh, also solar energy, also you can save a lot of energy. You can save a lot of water. Now this is where we said that as a big developer, we have to be environmentally responsible. And this is what we want to do. Okay, even as HDB builds a new generation of public housing, we're mindful that we need to keep upgrading the standard of quality of living across all different ages of towns. So since 1990s, we've already been upgrading and rejuvenating our existing towns. Uh, this is subject of another very long lecture, which I won't go through. These are all the upgrading programs we've been doing since the 1990s. It's a lot of program. I have not seen any city in the world that has done this. Okay, and I'm not going to go through all of it, but I will just highlight maybe the last three. Huh? What, what is this strange thing called green print? Okay, we've done a lot, main upgrading, lift upgrading, barrier free. So we upgrade outside, we also upgrade inside the home. Okay, uh, HDB green print is an interesting program because this is a program which introduced sustainability initiatives to existing towns. So we're trialing this, if it works, then we can roll up more to the existing uh, older towns that we have. And we also have this revitalization of shops program. We work with shop owners and tenants to encourage the rejuvenation of the retail shops. And the revitalization of shop scheme also helps to do things like co-fund upgrading of common areas and promotional events. And of course, HDB, for our own commercial complexes, we also continue to upgrade them. And we also want to introduce experiential shopping. Yeah? I talked about experiential shopping. Uh, where you have new dining experiences and concepts in our commercial complex. Old ones, these are not new ones, okay? And this is the Mahota Commune in Kitchener Complex. It's a one-stop experiential retailer. They combine an organic food market with a restaurant, a cafe, lifestyle studio, activity corners, a wood workshop, and a TCM wellness clinic. And of course, at a much larger scale, we have the remaking our Heartland program. It's much more extensive and comprehensive. We go back and do many things for the town at a much bigger scale. Uh, extensive improvements are made. All right, We upgrade neighborhood centers, town centers, uh, inject new developments, upgrade parks, playgrounds, introduce cycling networks. And so far, we have launched three remaking of Heartland uh, projects benefiting nine towns. Okay, so this is one and two. You have Dawson, Yisun, Pongo, Hokang, East Coast, Jurong, and the latest one, Woodlands, Pasiris, and Topayo. So, HDB planners and architects, we will have to master our creativity and resourcefulness to develop livable environments. There are no lack of ideas you know, on how to improve an environment and living conditions. I'm sure a lot of you will tell me, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? But HDB flats are highly subsidized. They all come from your tax dollars. Actually, you are paying for it. Okay? And we have to find solutions that are fiscally sustainable and develop in a cost-effective manner. We're responsible for your money. All right? To make, make, make sure we uh, use it well. And I believe, why do we do all this? What does it mean for the residents? I believe that all these efforts will help to shape, 
shape a better living environment, you bring about more reliable services for our residents and help them to age in place comfortably within the community with stronger bonds. However, HDB estates are not only about the physical building and the infrastructure. The experience of, living, of the living environment is in large measure dependent on the residents who live in our towns. Civic behaviour and consideration for neighbours, a sense of ownership through care for both the home and the surrounding environments will make HDB living that much more pleasant. And HDB needs a strong partnership with the residents, grassroots organisations, stakeholders to build a good home together. Thank you. Good evening to everyone. My name is Lily Kong and I'm Provost of the Singapore Management University. Um, as a professor of geography, this talk has been especially interesting for me because the work of geographers is very often about space. It is about the making of spaces for the betterment of uh, the human condition as such. Um, Kun Hien started by talking about how you know she was recapping much like a professor would. And as she said that, um, it struck me, as it's often struck me before, that the clarity of exposition and the passion for her subject are, in fact, the ingredients of a good professor. That's my retirement job. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome, although um, professorships are not only for retiring people. <laughs> yes. Um, and I know, you know, since we're talking about professorships and so forth, I know that Kunian will like this. So this is a heads up to the young people in the audience, the students in the audience, that I know she will particularly want to hear from you and to hear your comments and questions and reactions. So this is a heads up to the young people in the room, your opportunity to ask questions. For the young at heart, you also have an opportunity to ask questions, uh, but if it if, if there are more hands than not, I am going to uh, uh, give the opportunity to the young students with, with your indulgence. Um, when, I, when I studied sort of urban geography and uh, looked into our housing history, I over the years sort of learned to um, recite this narrative about our housing landscape in the 1960s and 1970s. It was really about a shortage of housing, and it was all about the need to break the backbone of our housing shortage. And that happened the, um, where SIT, not Singapore Institute of Technology, but Singapore Improvement Trust, the president of SIT is sitting here, so I'd better get it right. The Singapore Improvement Trust did its part, it tried, but it didn't quite succeed and HDB when it was set up managed to break the backbone of the housing shortage in the 60s into the 70s. But soon after the quantitative targets were reached, there was a, a recognition and a sense that 
housing is not just a roof over the heads, it's also about identity and character, it's also about social interaction. And that was a time when there were sociologists hired into HDB to help with the research and to understand how to uh, encourage greater social interaction. And the concept of precincts, for example, was developed. Um, I also remember my colleague um, Chua Bing-Huat talking about how when he was a sociologist in HDB, he sat around, as he often does, uh, observing. <laughs> Bing-Huat's not here, right? So I can swan him. Uh, <laughs> um, he talked about how he sat around and he observed the number of households or, or um, housing units that would make for optimum interaction. Um, so the social interaction, the, the character and identity of estates was something that was given more attention to in the 80s and 90s. And of course, in the, in the 2000s, in the noughties, if you will, and in the 2010s now, you see a whole host of initiatives uh, ranging from the use of technology to enhance our lifestyles, uh, but also not forgetting the history and the heritage and the placemaking, the sense of community and so forth. So a great deal has been done over the years, and you can sort of trace the development of HDB efforts. So my question, I suppose, if I may, uh, as, as moderator, and uh, to take the uh, opportunity to ask the first question, is, is to say, looking ahead, with all the many wonderful things that have been done, uh, that continue to be uh, done, if there were gaps in what you think um, HDB might want to try and plug in future from a spatial planning, physical infrastructure kind of perspective, what might those opportunities be looking ahead? Um, so that's, I, while I, I let Kunhin think a little bit about it, some ground rules about asking questions. I'd ask you to identify yourself uh, and, and say a little bit about where you're from, and then to keep your questions crisp and short so that as many people as possible can, can engage in this dialogue. Um, we are running late, so uh, we won't go the whole hog. We were supposed to end at 7.45, so um, with your permission, perhaps we could go to maybe 8 o'clock, so it's a little bit truncated. Uh, so all the more important that you keep your questions crisp. I will take a few questions at a time uh, rather than have question, answer, question, answer so that we can pack in more. For those of you in the overflow room, if you've got questions, please do write your questions on your sheets of paper and there will be staff who will bring the questions to me. So while you're preparing your questions, I turn to Kun Hien to say um, if you've got some thoughts about my um, opening question. Okay, thank you, Lily, and uh, thank you for your patience. So, uh, when you attend my lectures, they're usually quite long. <laughs> so, thank you for showing That's up. That's quite professorial, too. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Okay, uh, gaps. I suppose we're always trying to improve. Uh, you know, sometimes when I read comments about HDB design, uh, people forget that they're different decades of HDB designs. So when you read in the press or you, you read some comments on HDB design, because you continually improve. In the old days, uh, of course, uh, uh, things were quite basic because of also the, the cost, right? People also forget the other side of the formula. There's a cost, you know, to doing uh, things. 
So I think over the years we've done from very uh, basic things to uh, much better designs, much better designs. But uh, uh, and now it's a lot more introduction of science and technology. So I think with that we can improve the design of the towns much better. So when you say park gaps, the gaps are uh, at different levels, at a town level, at a precinct level, at a building level. So at the town level, I think it's a little bit more sophisticated going forward. Fortunately, we have the help of uh, computers and all these new things, right? In the old days, I don't know. I think it's very intuitive. Uh, but I always feel that my predecessors were very sustainable because I learned from my colleagues when I joined HDB that they uh, plan for natural wind flow. Now, that was before the word sustainable got into our vocabulary. So I must say that my predecessors were intuitively very sustainable, except they didn't use the word. So if you look at a lot of the towns, they do plan for um, uh, a good cooling and all that, but the science helps us. Uh, the other thing I think we can do better is probably to work better on the uh, public spaces, whether they're civic plazas or void decks. I really don't like the word void decks. Uh, I said before, I call them community living rooms. A lot more friendly, right? And as you see, the transformation by my residents. I think we can do better in that. Uh, but it requires a much better understanding of the human beings that use it. And that's where that little bit of science and uh, uh, the Urban Kampong project is very important for us to actually understand how people move, you know. Why would you go here and you don't go there? Oh, very difficult question, you know. But those are the things we need to find out so that we can design better. Okay? Other things is, I think going forward, there'll be changes. Uh, whether people drive or not, that type of behavior, it will change. And the way we plan will change. Uh, so I, I think it's always a work in progress. Okay? Uh, one more thing I think very important is, I think we can do more to work with residents. Uh, let me explain that. When you work with residents, I'm not saying, and I said that in the second lecture, in the first lecture, we're not saying that when you engage residents, it's about what do you want. Very easy to ask what you want, and very easy to tell people, these are the 1,000 things I want, right? But it's it's a it's an engagement that you need to say. Uh, that's why the, the virtual reality is very useful. You, you've got to design this place, but this is your budget. <laughs> so that conversation has to take place within certain parameters to be constructive. And I would really love to see uh, residents taking greater ownership. You can design all these things, you know, but if people throw rubbish down from the top, what to do? How, how can we uh, keep the estate in a very pleasant condition? We can't. It needs, needs two hands to clap. And that was one of the reasons why I gave this talk, Janadas, is to actually tell people you need two hands to clap. It's not about what can you do for me. It's what can we do together. Okay? So I want to emphasize that. So whatever your question you're going to ask me, I'm going to ask together. <laughs> so what's your answer? Okay? So that's what I'm going to ask you. Okay. So if you want to ask a question, be careful. Right? I'm going to ask you. <laughs> I must learn that trick Thank in the classroom too. <laughs> students get special dispensation. Okay. Uh, I see a hand. I see a hand here, but uh, I thought I saw a wave back there as well. No. Okay. 
First question. Um, I'm going to take a few questions at a time. There's one at the back. This, the lady first, and then the gentleman at the back. Well, I'm not a young student, but uh, I would like to take this opportunity to uh, thank uh, Dr. Cheung for this fascinating lecture. Yeah, I speak on behalf of the Disabled People's Association. It is uh, honorary secretary. I think one basic gap at the building level is the fire safety level, fire safety issue. Uh, just one month ago at Block 8 North Bridge Road, there was a fire, and that highlights the risk of how are we evacuating people from 80% of our population stay in HDB flat. Uh, there is, if I understand, uh, provision in a high-rise condominium of above 26 meter uh, to have a fire uh, lift backup by, with backup generators and also an empty space or refuge spaces for wheelchair users as a temporary holding protected area. But such features are missing from 80% of the, I mean, HDB flats where 80% of us live. So is this a gap that can be addressed? And for certainly, we want to clap together. Uh, DPA will certainly would like to work with HDB, the Singapore Defence as well, I mean, uh, Civil Defence as well as your BCA on this issue. Thank you. Thank you for that question. There's a question behind from the gentleman. Um, yes. Yes. Uh, please do make your way to the uh, microphone. Uh, while he's doing that, is there a third question? Uh, yes. Uh, yes, please go ahead. Uh, the second question from the gentleman, yes. Hi, Dr. Chong. I'm a property agent who must say that HDB has improved over the years. Right. One of my clients said to me that the flat in Bodo costs about 40K, but nowadays a flat in yeah, Lina Green costs about, well, over 200 over K when they first brought it, and now tripled to 600 over K when they sell. So I was like looking at it, and uh, our son said there's a, there's a difference, a divergence in terms of pricing between old and new flats uh, for the older generation and the younger generation, between the rich Singaporean and the poor Singaporean. So to me, when I look at them, as my clients, one is rich and one is poor, or one is old and one is youngish, and all that. I sense a divide, a social divide, rather than a unity. So it's a rather a pressing social problem for me. Maybe it's a ticking time bomb, as per se. Uh, sometimes I'm caught between two of them. So what I'm trying to say is that, you know, uh, the question is that someone are saying that maybe just live in JB. Like when I survey of them, they say that, oh, Maybe con consider to live in JB because it's cheaper and even freehold uh, as well. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, yeah. in the interest of letting others have a chance, could okay. you um, summarize your question? Yeah. So my summarize my question uh, summarize is that you know there's a uh, matter of the ownership. Is it a real ownership or tenancy? So uh, Singapore is it a home or hotel or country or corporation? Thank okay, you. that's squeezing in many questions. Uh, thank you for that. Right. Uh, we'll come back to that. Thank you. Uh, a question here. Hi, my name is Ravi Philemon and I am from Core Concept Systems. Um, thank you for that lecture, Dr. Chong. Uh, I can see that you're very proud of uh, HDB. So are many Singaporeans, including me, right? Um, my first question, uh, my question is, in the last lecture, you mentioned that Singapore's population density will increase in the future. I can understand and appreciate your views on higher population density based on your role as a planner, not as a policymaker. But planners too don't plan in a vacuum. My question is, 
What underlying principles or philosophies guide your, pla your planning processes? Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. There, um, I'll take one or two other questions together, if I may. Uh, I think it's an RJC uniform. Yes. Very good. Very good. <laughs> uh, good evening, Dr. Xiong. I am Jolene Yap from Raffles Institution, Year 5-6. Um, thank you for your talk today. I have one question. Um, if distinctiveness is, is the preservation of heritage and memory, then how do we decide what to preserve, considering that, um, for example, for the sake of experiential shopping, we sacrifice our HDB Mamak shops? How do, we, how do we decide that, um, for example, Old Pongo Road is worth preserving over like, other pieces of our heritage? Thank you. I, I just realized that I betrayed my heritage when I said RJC. Uh, <laughs> uh, one, were you just waving at me because I was funny or was there a question? I know, please, and then, okay, shall we take two, two at the same time and then I'll let you respond, yes. Um, Sano first, and then we'll come to you in a moment. Thank you. Thank you, Paul Lili. Uh, thank you, Dr. Chung. Really enjoyed your session. Um, my question is related to your point about real people. You said just now that you know, you're dealing with real people. I remember during my times when I was dealing with HDB before I became an MP, was about reality of multicultural living. Mosque, Malay, Muslim, but in your context of real people of today and the future, how do you see HDB coping with the, the new Singapore, the new normal, the real people in the political context? Thank you. Thank you for that. And one, one other question, and then we'll let Dr. Jong respond. Hi, uh, I'm YC. I was uh, from NUS three years ago. Uh, this is a more technical question. So uh, we use a lot of concrete in our buildings and somehow they trap heat, especially in our tropical climate. So I'm just wondering if uh, HDB is experimenting with like bamboos or other materials that can reduce uh, surf the heat on the surface of our buildings. Thanks. Thank you. Um, sorry, there were six individuals and 20 questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, shall, shall I? Yes. Okay, thank you for all your questions. Uh, I have prerogative to choose, right? Uh, I like to answer Jolene, because uh, one of the reasons I do these lectures is I actually wanted to talk a lot to the young people. Uh, actually, I spend time talking to young people. I give talks at the uh, JCs and uh, tertiary institutions, because I really want to hear from you. And uh, when I gave my lectures, the way I've arranged the lectures is for you to have a greater understanding of what it takes to bring this, uh, make this place better, especially when we are a city state no? with uh, constraints, which Janadas has always talked about, land constraints and resource constraints. So I'm really happy to hear that you've asked a question and please ask questions. Distinctiveness, yes, who's the judge? Actually, nobody is the judge. I think you are the judge. You have to judge. And uh, so I give, just give you an example. Um, this is about participatory planning, which I talked about in lecture two. Uh, how do you do participatory planning? Seoul, Seoul, sorry, lecture one. Seoul was a very good example of participatory planning. 
uh, it's a process, right? And which I confess we're still learning. So when you talk about distinctiveness, you're right. Who decides what's distinctive? Because not every, not, uh, it's not homogeneity in this type of subject, you know? So I give you one example. When we did our remaking of Heartlands project, we used to do the first ROH1 and ROH2. We tend to, planners tend to just do the design and then we say, what do you think? And then you give a feedback. You like it, you don't like it, we change it. Then ROH3, we changed. We decided that we shouldn't even do the design. We started by engaging the residents. So we had a lot of uh, focus group discussion. And we asked them, you've lived in this town, right? What do you remember most about this town? Where do you meet your friends? What do you like about this town? What don't you like about this town? And actually from there, then we developed the brief for the plan. And then only from there, we started to try to put things together. But of course, the most difficult part is one guy like, one guy don't like. Actually, I don't have an answer to that, right? But uh, participatory planning is about hearing all views. And then they all sit together, some like, some don't like. But in the end, you have to make a decision to go along with whoever. You can't be 100%. But at least the process, if you, you can't give people something, you have to explain uh, why you can't and why others don't like it. So I think that is the process, OK? So Jolene, really, you're right. I think uh, it's not who decides. It's how can we decide together? And that is a very difficult process. That's why Seoul, I think there's a lot I need to learn from them. They have a lot of different voices, you know, and yet they were able to do some very, very difficult projects. I showed you, right? They removed the roads and all that. Can you imagine? It's very, very hard to do, you know? So it's a process that we need. Now, you are talking about Mamak Shop because uh, it's in your newspaper, right? Okay, newspaper also come to me lah and ask me. Now, this is not about Mamak Shop. This is talking about the way things move in a city. Lifestyles change, the economics you need to consider. So it's the same as like conservation, which I talked about in my, I think, second lecture. Uh, how do you keep some of these traditional traits? In conservation, I was asking you all, no, how many of you go and buy the takya today? How many? Put out your hand. Nobody. So if nobody go and buy the takya, how am I going to keep those shops running? They will not be economic. So there are some of these uh, issues that not only Singapore struggle with. It struggles all over the world, even uh, Japan, which has a lot of mom and pop shops. Okay, so I think you need to be, I, I think a slightly more pragmatic uh, uh, way of doing it. You give them as much help as you can, but they have to be economic. Because if they're not economic, they won't survive. You won't survive. So maybe you tell me, I pose the question back to you. How would you do it? You want to give them a lot of subsidies, Jolene? Taxpayers' money. Are you going to buy from the, the, the guy downstairs? If you don't buy from him, I rest my case. All right? So think about that, OK? Think about that. Uh, there's some very technical questions, eh, like uh, use of bamboo. But I remember reading some articles you know, about bamboo. I'm not the engineer. I have a lot of engineers sitting here. You ask them later, OK? <laughs> my colleagues are doing all the R&D. But I did read about bamboo, and I think it's quite an interesting material. 
uh, I don't know enough about it, but certainly it's something we can look at. A lot of people have been looking at the use of bamboo. Uh, but again, you know, scale is something. In HDB, we built in such a huge scale, no? So some of this material, I don't even know whether it can cater to that, the type of scale that we do. Okay, and uh, uh, tied to uh, your question about disabled, actually, we, I think there was a reply on this in the press, no? I can't quite remember. But we did look through a lot of the uh, uh, codes together with SCDF, and actually, it does uh, comply with the codes. So I would be happy to uh, take it offline with you. But I think they are also talking to you on no, SCDF. It's not new. The court does take into consideration some of your concerns. And uh, we, we are just as mindful. I mean, why would we not want to take care of um, the people who are disabled? We do want to take care. And of course, the issue always is you have many, many uh, different, uh, what we call it, a, uh, different uh, ages of flats. But as far as I know, I recall we have this conversation and the court can cater for it. So uh, feel free to come and talk to us huh? or maybe we can also talk to SCDF as well. So, all right. Uh, Zaina, your question is quite a tough one, you know. I thought you should be answering as the ex-politician. <laughs> I'm a civil servant, you know. I don't know how to answer. <laughs> uh, so all of you will ask all these difficult questions. I'm only a civil servant. I'm a technical person. Most of our architect planners are more. So all these what real estate questions, I'm not the property agent either, you know. But for Zainer, I would say, uh, I can tell you my problems, okay? Maybe you help me to solve. Uh, yeah, I think, I think Singaporeans, you know, it's, it's not so easy to deal. Today you, you have, you know, because you meet a lot of residents, you take your walkabouts. Uh, actually, it's not easy for HDB, you know, because uh, when we, when you have so many people living together, trying to get people to live together harmoniously is very challenging. And what tools do I have? The only tools I have is a spatial one. I only built for you, ma, spaces like type of housing. Some policy, yes, EIP, we mix, we mix people, mix nationality, mix different type of flat. But the tools are very spatial. So HDB on its own doesn't have the full set of tools to do social cohesion and all that. We're only one part of the solution. So I must say there are many, many parts, right? It's how do you convince people uh, to be uh, more accepting of people of a different nationality? How do you be a little bit forbearing, you know, because we all have different cultures and habits. And I have uh, even little things like, you know, uh, the, the guy, you know, if the, he's, he has a problem with the neighbor, there's a bit of noise. It's very funny, you know, you know what they do? They don't knock on the door of the neighbor and say, excuse me, can you just tone it down. They call, they call us and say, can you tell him to tone down? So now that one I can't solve. So I'm just wondering how we can do it. So if you have good suggestions, I'll be happy to uh, uh, take on board and learn from all of you because this is my point about doing it together, right? Okay, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's like a Ghostbuster, you know, who do you call? Call HDB. Actually, it's not even HDB. Sometimes it's a town council, no? Okay. <laughs> so, Zaina, you give me the answer. I don't know. See, I promise you, you have to answer the questions. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, I think. Uh, I, uh, sorry. Sorry. Yep. Sorry. Um, we're running short of time, okay. and I I know people are already moving off. Um, but there were two other questions uh, that were handed to me, and I feel like I should give them sure. the time of day night. 
Um, and they're both related to technology, so um, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to end with these two questions. Um, one is about um, sort of the new technologies in the form of personal mobility devices and how the HDV towns would cater to that. A uh, second question is related to technology in the home and something you said about behavioral, um, it's, it's about human behavior. So if you have the sensors in the home, but our elderly folks put towels over them to cover them because they don't want people to be looking at them or, yeah, or you have a panic button for them, but they um, keep it away somewhere safe in case they press it accidentally. So how do we get around some of these issues to do with the availability of technology, but human behavior not necessarily um, uh, sort of taking the form that we assume they will? So those are the two technology-related questions. They are very, very good questions, and we struggle with it. So I, I give you an example. When we did the uh, elderly monitoring system, that's why I say you must trial in where? Where they're human beings. You have to try in a place where they're human beings. So we actually trial in a lot of the homes. We got some of the elderly to uh, volunteer. So what happens is uh, we go into the homes. And uh, by the way, let me clarify. These are sensors. These are not cameras. Uh. Otherwise, you feel very shy, okay? Put near the toilet or something. They are not. They're sensors. They sense movement. They do not actually capture you visually. So uh, we, we, the way we do it is after we put the sensors, we let them trial, and then we get them to give us a feedback. Do you understand how to do it? Uh, are you disturbed by it? And, and they were very happy. There was no problem. It's very, very simple to use. So you must trial with real people, all right? And of course, you need to educate. You need to educate people about technology. Worldwide, there was is going to be a there will be a divide between people who know technology and people who don't, and we talked about this in the I think the last lecture. Uh, therefore, we need to bridge this divide. Otherwise, uh, I think there's an inequity. So we need to teach people. But having said this, let me end with a story. I love to tell stories, and the story is this: uh, I have an aunt. She's almost uh, 75, 76. So she came, uh, and, and she doesn't live here. She lives in Malaysia. So she came, and she was very excited because my, my son taught her how to use WhatsApp and to do the, the go into the website. She was so excited. Now she's WhatsApping everybody, and uh, she's reading all the news and watching movies you know, on, on the phone. So there's hope, you know? There's hope because we all can be taught. I think that's the point. And we must, we must make the technology disappear. That is a non-issue for people. And that's the responsibility of all designers, all of us who go and introduce technology. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I must say that I know all about senior aunties who WhatsApp all the time. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, I won't... I won't attempt to summarize because we've covered such a wide spectrum of uh, issues and thematics that the HDB deals with, from the social to the spatial to the technological, from history to looking forward. Um, I think it's evident to all that HDB has a real 
um, challenge on its hands. It's got a real task on its hands, right? It's not just about providing rules over people's heads, but it's about building community. It's also about understanding human behavior while trying to figure out how science and technology can be harnessed for the best use for a better living environment. So it's a very multifaceted, complex organization which has a whole host of different responsibilities. And I think um, we owe it to the CEO who's sitting with us to thank them for uh, all their efforts in trying to house a nation. Um, so if I might uh, invite you to join me in thanking Kun Hien for a very interesting and enlightening uh, discussion.